Welcome to Northern Kentucky Baptist Church this evening. Glad you're here with us. We're going to start this evening by singing a song, Blessed Be the Name, Blessed Be the Name, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Let's stand together as we sing this together. All praise to Him who reigns above in majesty supreme. His Son for man to die, that he might man redeem. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse number two. His name above all names shall stand. Exalted more and more That God the Father's own right hand Where angel host adore Blessed be the name, blessed be the name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be the name, blessed be the name Blessed be the name of the Lord on the last. His name shall be the Counselor, the mighty Prince of Peace, of all earth's kingdoms conquered, whose reign shall never cease. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. It's always great when we can lift up and bless the name of the Lord. Amen. Good to see each one of you back tonight in the Lord's house. And uh, we asked you this morning to pray for Laura Faulkner, and I believe she got to come home this afternoon. And we prayed for Brother Kirk Boggs, and he got to come home this afternoon too, and is doing better. So thank the Lord for answered prayer. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can lift up that name, the name that is above every name, the name at which one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And we're so thankful that we have bowed before that name and trusted you, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior and have salvation, have a home in heaven, 
and we do bless that holy and worthy name. We ask you to bless our service tonight. Help us as we focus our attention on you and just speak to our hearts. Be with those that could not be with us tonight and meet the needs in their lives. Thank you for answering prayer and Laura getting to come home and Kurt as well this afternoon. We pray that you'll continue to strengthen them and give them your healing touch, meet their needs in a, in a mighty way. And for others that have special physical needs, we pray that you would touch them, continue to be with Sherry as she recovers from her surgery and just meet her needs as well. And we ask you, Lord, that you'll guide and direct in our lives as we leave from here tonight and as we enter into this new week. Help us to be a witness and testimony for you, and may others see Christ in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Again, we're grateful for your being here and being a part of this service tonight. The choir is going to sing for you the song, I Run to Christ. Chased by fear. 
It's so amazing that no matter where we're at in our life, no matter what trials we may be going through, no matter what happens, we can always run to Christ because he's always there. He's closer than a brother. Praise God for that. We're going to stand together this evening. We're going to sing our welcome song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. We'll sing that through a couple times as the choir will sing. comes on down. scripture reference that we are working on this month again is Genesis chapter 1 verses 11 through 15. If you'll join me we'll say those verses together. Ready? Genesis 1 11 through 15. And God said let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years." And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. Genesis 1, 11 through 15. Thank you so much. We've enjoyed having Brother Adam Davis and Brother Zach Whiting with us uh, this morning, and of course Friday and Saturday with our teen rally, and they're going to come and sing for us again at this time.
afraid. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Let the weak say I am strong in the strength of the Lord. You are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. of our lives. I will trust in you. We're going to continue with that theme. My life is yours to control. Let's sing, stand and sing this song together. It's a chorus in our hymnals that we haven't sang in a long time. Many have sung it as a special, but we're going to try a different chorus tonight. My life is yours to control. If you know it, sing it out louder so everybody can follow. With my whole heart I humbly seek you. Now use my life, O oh Lord, I pray. I yield my stubborn will completely. May your commandments light my way. My life, Lord, is yours to control. I give you my heart and my soul. Seek your will, never mind. Rich treasures to find. Give wisdom to choices I make. Along every path that I take. So when I complete life's race. And on verse number two, Lord, word has promised me the victory, and all I need to do is claim your strength to soar with wings as eagles, to walk, to run, and not to Rich 
everybody's singing thank you. Please be seated. Good evening for our scripture reading tonight. We're in James, the book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 19 and read down through verse 25. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that we would be attentive to exactly what it is that you would have for us tonight. Um, Lord, you are, you are sovereign, you are in control, and Lord, you, you have each, each and every one of us here tonight um, for such a time as this. And Lord, I just ask that whatever it is that you have us here for, for that purpose, that it would be had in each of our hearts. Lord, be with, again, Brother Davis as he preaches to us. Lord, use him in a mighty way and give him the words to say. Fill him with the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that the seed of your word would fall fresh upon our hearts that are soft and tender and open. Lord, we love you and thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. 
I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate that good song, those good songs tonight that you've shared with us. It has been a blessing to have Adam and Zach with us for these couple of days. Teens had a great time Friday night and Saturday in their teen rally and enjoyed their time and God spoke to their hearts and again this morning our hearts were touched through the word of God. I want you to listen carefully as um, Adam comes and preaches to us tonight. Well, it's been a privilege to be with you here. We've really enjoyed our time and felt very much at home and welcome here, and we appreciate that. We get the privilege to travel lots of different places and speak to lots of different groups of people and uh, share with lots of churches. And I'll tell churches often, you know, I'm going to preach and sing wherever I go because that's what I've been called to do and invited to do, but it's, it's much easier when the people are nice. <laughs> And uh, it's much easier when the people act like they're glad you're there, too. But uh, just so you know, even if you weren't glad, I would still be doing this. So. Uh, and those of you that aren't glad, well, just try to hide it a little bit longer, and we'll be out of here. Uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 1. If you haven't left them there already, then we're going to be looking at these verses in particular, though my intention is to give us a good overview of the entire chapter. This is my favorite place and the entire Bible. Anyone who knows me well knows how much I love the book of James and uh, how frequently I find myself here. And so when I get to share with a church for the first time, one of the places I'm always uh, dying to get to is the book of James. And the Lord's given me the opportunity to share from the book of James in many different contexts and many different churches over the last several years. And it helps me to study and teach the book of James but I have seen how God uses it in the lives of people in churches all over the place. I want to share from the book of James. James is just so incredibly practical. Amen. And we need that practical, down-to-earth wisdom that James gives us. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I shared uh, with the teens through the course of events at one point or another in one of the messages I was sharing about how, as a professor, I do enjoy engaging in the debated issues and the difficult and controversial issues 
you know, as someone who's had to take a lot of courses and write a lot of papers and teach a lot of students, I enjoyed to, to get into that kind of stuff. But, but what's so refreshing about James is that it's just right down on our level. Uh, there's not really a lot of confusion about what he's saying. And it's been my experience that the things that Christians struggle with are not the deep, complex things we can't really understand. It's the simple things that we just don't do. And James really, really, really gets to the heart of what we as believers ought to be. I want us to look at verse 19 really quickly, but I want us to see how it's not necessarily possible for us to completely understand what James is trying to say in verse 19 without a good understanding of the uh, entire chapter and of James' own background, what he's trying to communicate in this book. So, so bear with me. I want us to, to see several important things that I hope will help us tonight. Verse 19, look at it. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's a well-known verse. I'm sure this is not a surprise to any of you here tonight to hear this verse read. And you've probably heard it uh, taught many times, maybe memorized it. And often we will stop at this verse as just being you know, a good piece of, of scriptural advice for uh, how we ought to conduct ourselves and, and how it should govern interpersonal relationships. And I will tell you, if we all lived by this one principle, we would ha- we'd have a lot more harmony. If everyone was, was quicker to listen, slower to speak, and slower to get angry, we'd be in a lot better shape in most of our relationships. But there's a lot that goes into the argument that James is making before he lands on this piece of advice. I understand, don't misunderstand, I know this is the inspired word of God, but when we get to this point, James is giving us a principle for life that is informed by everything he said up to this point, and so I don't want us to miss it. Whenever you study the word of God, it's important that you understand any given passage, any given verse in its context. Uh, Much damage has been done by, by preachers and teachers who have taken single verses out of their context and taught whatever they wanted to. We need to study the Bible in context, it's important, I think, to know who wrote these books, when they wrote them, why they wrote them, to whom they wrote them, what their theme and purpose was, and all of that. And so, if I can just give you a very quick crash course in James before we dive into this verse, I think it would help us. James was written by James. There you go. There's a reason I'm a full-time professor at Veritas Baptist College. Uh, and Listen, you don't have to look very hard to find the answer to that question. It's the very first word in the book. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. James, though, there are many people who have that name in the Bible. But based on the evidence within the letter and what we've got from traditions from others who lived at that time, we believe this is none other than James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now notice how I said that. He's the half-brother of Jesus Christ because after the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, Mary and Joseph then had children together. Jesus didn't have an earthly father. So those children that were born of Joseph and Mary, in reality, are half-brothers and sisters. Okay? So James was one of those half-brothers and sisters. And James has this incredible uh, life story. James grew up with the Messiah. James lived in the same house as the Messiah. What an awesome thing that must have been. Maybe not. <laughs> we, I think we have this really idyllic picture of what it must have been like to grow up in the same house as Jesus, but based on the only real evidence we have, which is how they responded to him during his public ministry, it might not have been that great. Also, we don't know what happened to Joseph. Many believe that perhaps he died while the children were still quite young and Mary was left to raise them. 
Mary and Joseph knew, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that Jesus was the Son of God and responded accordingly, but his siblings, his half-brothers and sisters, did not believe that. So I think there might have been quite a bit of disharmony, maybe, in their growing up years. I mean, just imagine. Now, how many of you have siblings that you grew up in a house with other people, apart from yourself? Okay. Now, how many of you have a sibling that you thought mom and dad thought were, could do no wrong? Now, mom and dad thought there was one of you that could do no wrong from your perspective, right? There's one perfect child, right? It was me in my house. All of you, I know what's happening. All of you think you were that one. So you can't quite identify. Okay, so try to imagine growing up as James and these other half-brothers and sisters where there literally is a perfect child in your house. There literally is a child who can't do anything wrong. There is no day in which it would work for James to say, Jesus did it. Because he didn't. He, there's inherent conflict there is all I'm saying. That's James's background. Now, when we find James as an adult, first of all, we find him standing alongside the other half-brothers and sisters of Christ, distancing themselves from Jesus because they thought he was either a lunatic, they thought he was a blasphemer, they were embarrassed by him, they wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. So what is it that would happen to go from James, the mocking unbeliever, to James, the apostle, the, the, the servant of God, the author of Scripture? What happened? We get a little bit of insight into that because the Bible tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he made a point to appear to certain individuals. He appeared to some groups of people as well. But he appeared to some specific individuals, one of whom was James. Can you imagine what that must have been like for James to stand face to face with his half-brother who claimed to be the Son of God and now had risen from the dead and was standing in front of him? What an incredible experience that must have been. James then knew beyond any shadow of a doubt this was God's Son. He put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior, and his entire life was transformed. Now, James has gone from being a mocking unbeliever to uh, a slave, as he refers to himself, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, James had quite an incredible repertoire after his conversion. James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, the first church, really, that was growing by thousands daily at the beginning. Paul referred to James as a pillar of the church. James had these interesting nicknames. If you read some of the history of James' life, they called him James the Just, because he was a man of integrity, impeccable character. They also called him Old Camel Knees. That's a strange nickname. Um... And it was because James was known for one thing above all else, and that was for being a man of fervent prayer who spent so much time on his knees that they were calloused and leathery by the end of his life. And that's what they knew him by. James would go on to be martyred for the cause of Christ. Not to be outdone, James was basically killed twice. They stoned him and they threw him from the top of the temple. James had an incredible transformation. The power of the gospel completely turned his life upside down. It's important that we know that because James is now writing to a group of Jewish professing believers. With the heart of a pastor, many of those people from his own background are now scattering 
many because of persecution, but other reasons that were driving them to move to different areas. And James has a heart to reach those people, and so he writes this letter to them. He says the 12 tribes, that's Jewish people, who are scattered abroad, that's who he's writing this letter to. And he's writing because he's concerned that some of these professing believers are just that. They're professing to have a faith they don't actually possess. Because what he's seen is that as soon as the pressure got turned up, they went right back to Judaism. They're going right back to the way they used to worship, the way they used to behave, the sacrifices, the rituals, the customs, and all of those things. And so he's concerned. Some of you may not actually be believers. Because while it was popular for a few weeks to, to follow Christ, now the pressure's turned up again and they're running away. And I think he's also convinced that maybe there are some who are genuinely believers, but they're just not living out their faith because they're ashamed. They're scared of how they will be treated. They're scared of the status they could lose among their friends and family members. And so James is writing on one theme. James is writing all about genuine faith. What does genuine faith look like? Because James' life was a testament to genuine faith. And he wanted each of these professing believers to have the opportunity to evaluate their own claim of faith and see if they have a genuine faith or if they're just pretending. That's what drives James. Sometimes we think James, I've even heard James called this, the Proverbs of the New Testament. They think it's just little nuggets of wisdom all placed close together, but no real theme. No, James is writing on one theme, genuine faith. Everything connects back to genuine faith. Now, James, being a very practical man, is short on introductions. You notice he got one verse. And really, as far as greetings go, you get one word. And it's the word greeting. That's just very interesting. And right after that, he jumps right into the heart of his message. And in verses 1 through 12, what he does is he explains how genuine faith responds to trials. And we were hit right away with this advice, this truth that doesn't seem to reconcile with our own feelings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. The reality is trials are a part of the Christian life. We, we hit that hard this morning. We know that's true. It, there's no question about it here. He says, when you fall, the question is not, will you? The question is, what kind of trial will you fall into? All of us are going to experience trials in different ways. He says, when you fall into those trials, fall even gives the idea that it's completely unexpected. It, it takes the wind out of your sails. It knocks you off your feet. When you're hit with that kind of situation, he says, you should consider that a joyful thing. That doesn't make any sense. How am I supposed to be happy about this terrible thing that's happened to me or this terrible thing that's happened to my family? How am I supposed to be happy about this diagnosis? How am I supposed to be happy about this loss? And if we think that's as simple as it is, then we will be frustrated with ourselves because we can't do that. We can't be happy about losing someone. We can't be happy about the loss of our own health or our own finances. That's not what he's saying to do. He's not saying to have an, a knee-jerk reaction that says, oh, I lost everything, I'm so happy. No, he's saying to have a calculated response. A great example of this, I think, is Job. Now, Job did not do everything perfectly as you read the whole book, but in the midst of those very difficult trials, if it wasn't for his friends coming around and bothering him all the time, Job did a good job of responding to those initial heart-wrenching 
trials that he had to go through, things we can probably not even imagine. The loss of all of his wealth and all of his children, his own health and the support of his family and friends. And the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips, neither did he charge God foolishly. What did Job say? Job said, the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is a perfect example of coming to a conclusion, a calculated response. Job did the math. The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood that it was in God's power to give and to take. Nothing really belongs to us anyway. God gives it to us for a time, and he can take it at any time. And he's worthy of worship in any of those circumstances. Count it all joy does not mean be happy when you lose everything. It means have a calculated response. You say, how can I do that? Thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us hanging. Do you see how verse 3 begins? Knowing this. Don't try to count this as joy unless you know this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The only reason I can consider it a joyful thing to go through trials is because I know that God is using trials to perfect me. I know that God is trying to strengthen me and God is trying to help me. And many times, verse 5 reveals to us the very simple reason you're in a trial is because you don't know everything. That's why verse 5 is there. It's not just randomly placed. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Trials teach us there's something we don't know. We need God's help. There's a lesson we need to learn. He's trying to teach us, and he's waiting for us to ask him for help. And when we ask, as a loving father, he will give us that help. He will not leave us in that time of need. So genuine faith responds properly to trials. Then if you were to look in verses 13 to 18, the next section, genuine faith responds properly to temptations. Now the same word is used here, but it's very clear from the context that this is two different situations. He says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. In verse 16, he goes on to say, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't get this wrong. Do not make a mistake in this area. Trials and temptations are two different things. Temptations do not come from God. Do not blame him for getting yourself into trouble because of your own sinful desires. I found it's helpful to explain it this way. God uses trials to expose our weaknesses. Satan uses temptations to exploit our weaknesses. See, God is, of course, omniscient. God knows everything. God knows every weakness you have. God sends trials into your life as a loving way of trying to show you an area of weakness that needs to be strengthened before the big attack comes. God uses trials to expose weaknesses so he can help you. Satan, he's not omniscient, but he has a lot of help. He sees your weaknesses as well. He doesn't want to help you strengthen those weaknesses. He wants to exploit that weakness and use it against you so that you fall and take others down with you. Peter's example is perfect. I love the story of Peter on the night of Christ's arrest and how all this unfolded. Luke chapter 24 gives us a really unique insight as Jesus turns to Peter and he calls him by by his name, Simon, Simon, showing how much he loved him, how close he was to him. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. 
but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. You see what's happening? Jesus knew there was a weakness in Peter's life. He warned him of it. He said, listen, Satan wants you. He wants to shake you until you break into pieces. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. See, he's exposing weakness that Satan is planning to exploit. Peter had an opportunity to say, help me. But that's not what Peter said. Peter said, I will never do that. I won't deny you. In fact, I'll go to prison and I'll die for you. The same thing happens in our lives. God uses his word to expose weaknesses. God uses his word, whether it's through personal study, whether it's through teaching and preaching of our pastor, whether it's through the counsel of a trusted friend who points their finger at an issue that needs to be addressed, and you have the opportunity to say, I need to do something about that, God, please help me, or say, no, that will never happen to me. Peter made a mistake. Peter paid the price for his mistake. But still ringing in my ears after all that is Jesus saying, but I've prayed for you, that your faith fail not. Don't blame God when you get yourself into trouble because you haven't listened to his warnings and you got yourself in a difficult spot. So genuine faith responds properly to trials. Genuine faith responds properly to temptations. And when we get into this section, which we read for tonight's message, we find that genuine faith responds properly to God, period. Responds properly to the word of God specifically. Let's pick up in verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make a mistake about these two issues, trials and temptations. Don't confuse the issues. Know this, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What is he saying? He says, listen, you need to know something for sure about God and don't forget it. Every good thing in your life comes from him. And God's ultimate purpose for every believer's life is to conform you to the image of his son. And everything God sends into your life is for that purpose. God does not send things into your life to destroy you. He does not send things into your life to trip you up. Everything God sends into your life is for the purpose of perfecting you. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him. There's no shadow of turning. He's not changing. He's always going to do what he's always done. He's our good father who gives good and perfect gifts. And we can trust him. Now, knowing that changes how I'm going to respond when difficult circumstances come and when temptations come. I'm not going to make this mistake. All of that is the backdrop wrapped up in this little word at the beginning of verse 19, wherefore. Because you understand that God sends trials to expose weaknesses and Satan uses temptations to exploit weaknesses, then here's what you need to do. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So we see now how this is not just a general principle about how we respond to other people, though it certainly can be applied that way. This is talking specifically about how you and I respond to God when he's trying to get our attention. God is always speaking. That's one of the incredible truths we learn about God as we study the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1 begins with that statement, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, 
hath in these last days spoken unto us through his Son. God is always speaking. God wants to be heard. God wants to enter into a relationship with his creation. And as his children, God is always speaking to us. And you know how God desires to speak to us? Through his word. But it's really hard for him to speak to us through his word if it's never opened. And so at times in our life, because we refuse to open God's word and let him talk to us, he has to find other ways to speak. And the way God turns up the volume on the message he has for us is often trials. God is trying to tell you something, but you won't listen to it. But God loves you so much, he's not going to let you miss the message. He's going to try every resource available, and he has inexhaustible resources, to get the message across. Think about Jonah. God spoke to Jonah plain and simple. Jonah said, don't like that, and ran away. God used a storm, a boat, pagan sailors, a wind, a plant, a worm, a whale, everything in his power to say, Jonah, listen to me. I'm trying to get your attention. There's something you need to learn. I wonder what it is God's trying to tell each of us tonight. I wonder if we have ignored it too long when it's been in the simple phase of understanding right here in his word. I wonder how God has had to turn up the volume to get us to pay attention. But James is saying, listen, when God tries to get your attention, it's time to close your mouth, listen up, and not get angry. When God, through his word, As I mentioned, the many ways we can encounter it, whether it's our own study, our pastor's preaching, the counsel of a trusted friend, when God uses his word to put his finger on something in your life that needs to change, that's the time to say, please help me. Not to get angry about it. Why? Because verse 20 says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you get angry every time God points out something in your life that needs to change, you're not getting any more like him. You won't. You don't learn the lesson when you get angry and bitter. And that's just a recipe for having to relearn the same lesson. Verse 21. Here's the right response. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This is what you're supposed to do. Okay, so you don't get angry. Instead, you recognize that he's right and you're wrong and you get rid of whatever it is he says to get rid of. It's really that simple. This verse has one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible, superfluity of naughtiness. Isn't that fun? (laughs) I won't make us all say it together, but I challenge you parents, work that into some of your parenting this week. It's enough superfluity of naughtiness from you. Isn't it great? What does it mean, though? What is the superfluity of naughtiness? It's just the leftover habits of sin that we still have as believers. Can I remind us of something rather important tonight? When you got saved, you didn't become practically perfect in every way. Now, in God's eyes, you are, because you stand with the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your account. Praise God for that. But practically speaking, we still have habits of sin that are holding on for dear life. There are still things that you have not let go And God speaks to us through his word, and he points out those areas one by one. That needs to go, that needs to go, that needs to stop, that needs to stop. That's what we're talking about here. And our response should be, get rid of it. 
If God says you don't need it, you don't need it. If God says it needs to go, it needs to go. Lay apart that superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Receiving with meekness means I have to humble myself enough to recognize I don't know everything, but God does. I'm going to let him continue transforming me through his word. This is the only chance you've got. It's the truth of the gospel is found in the word of God that was the only chance you had of being saved in the first place. And it's the only chance you have of being sanctified and made more like him. If we keep shunning it, we're going to be stuck at the same place we are now until we die. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. That's the first major lesson here and the biggest one. I promise that's the longest first point that's maybe ever been preached. But when God speaks to you, whether it's through trial, whether it's just through his word, the right response is to say, you're right, I'm wrong, please help me. We've got to listen to what he says and not push him away and get angry. Verse 22, it continues from there. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Let me ask you a question. How dumb do you have to be to deceive yourself? (laughs) Yet twice in the span of just a few verses, James says that we're capable of deceiving ourselves. And one of the ways we do it is right here in verse 22. We deceive ourselves when we decide that we are going to listen to what God says, but we're not going to do it. We deceive ourselves often in this very way. We think it's enough to acknowledge God's speaking. Acknowledge that it's true even for us, but then not do anything about it. Do you know how many times we come to church and deceive ourselves? Because we sit there and we nod in agreement and we realize that God is speaking to us and we say, man, that's right, that's for me. And then we leave and never do anything about it. You have deceived yourself into thinking that's all that God expects from you. God doesn't just expect you to mentally assent to the truth that he's prepared for you. He expects you to do something about it. And in typical James fashion... He goes ahead and explains to us just how dumb we are if that's what we do. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. That's a pretty good picture of stupidity. Someone who hears God's word yet does not do it is just like someone who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. Someone who looks in the mirror and sees an obvious flaw that could be remedied and decides not to address it. It's like waking up first thing in the morning, looking in the mirror, seeing that there's all kinds of issues. (laughs) Hair, face, chocolate, whatever. And then just saying, oh, I'm good with that. And walking out the door. Now some of you might do that. And I'm sorry that that's true. But most of us, If it's within our power to do something about it, quickly we're going to do something about it. James says, just as foolish as it is to look in the mirror, see an issue, and not address it, it's just as foolish to look into the perfect law of liberty. God's word, when you read it, it reads you. It shows you the truth of your condition. But it doesn't just show you what you are. It shows you what you could be. It gives you the answers, even how to get there. But we still walk away from it without addressing it. 
Maybe there's been a time in your life that you've been called to sit in front of a superior, whether it's being called into the principal's office as a kid. Maybe you get called into your boss's office at the job. And the purpose is for them to tell you something you've been doing wrong. How many times have you been in that situation and in your own pride you've sat there and because you know you, can't, you have no choice, you agree to what they're saying. But in, in your mind you're thinking, I'm not doing that. I'm agreeing with you because you're my boss and I don't want to lose my job. But I'm not doing that. That's the same thing we do when we come to church. And God says that needs to go. And you say, yep, you're right. And then you go out the doors and do the same thing again anyway. It's just as foolish. God expects when he speaks to us that we listen to him, but it doesn't stop at listening. It continues in obedience. Finally, verse 25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be the kind of person who deceives themselves and never makes any progress, just stays at the same level for the rest of your life? Or do you want to be someone that that God blesses and uses? That the things you put your hands to do, God multiplies those efforts because you're being faithful to listen to him and do what he says. Do you want to be the man who's blessed in his deed? Or the one who deceives himself. God's giving us an opportunity right now to respond to him. If God is speaking to your heart tonight through his word, don't make the same mistake you've made, I've made too many times before. If God says something needs to change, it needs to change. If God says something needs to go, it needs to go. God knows best. And we can trust him. God has never given us a single reason to doubt him. That's why we need that reminder. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything God is doing in your life, he's doing because he loves you and because he has a purpose for your life that he's attempting to accomplish God's going to do what he wants to do, but it's a much more enjoyable experience if we stop resisting and allow him to work as he sees fit. Lord, thank you for this just incredible chapter in your word. Thank you for all that we can learn from it. We've only scratched the surface tonight. Lord, I pray we would put into practice immediately the lesson we've learned tonight, and that is if you're speaking to us, it's time to listen. And once we've listened, it's time to obey. Help us not to be a self-deceived people, but a people whose lives and efforts you bless for your sake, for your kingdom. We thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight. Work in the concluding moments of this service as you see fit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? And I want to ask Jessica if she'll just play our invitation all to Jesus, I surrender. Just let the Lord speak to your heart for a minute. Is there something God's doing in your life? Is there something that he's telling you you need to do or not do?
Are we willing to be doers of the word and not hearers only? Perhaps you need to come and just kneel here at this altar and say, Lord, I'm listening. I I want to hear from you. I want to obey you. Whatever it is, as God's speaking to you right now, just come and say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Or I won't do what I'm not supposed to do. As we wait just a moment or two. You come if God's speaking to you. You know what's going on in your life. And just remember, if we don't listen, as Brother Adam said tonight, God will keep working till we do listen, till we do obey. Let's not deceive ourselves and have God speak to us and then go away and not do anything about it. Too many times we have our hearts stirred but we're not changed. Don't let that happen in your life tonight. As we wait. God's speaking to you. Is there something you're dealing with right now in your life? Listen to it. When he brings the trials, don't get angry at the Lord. Amen? If we're going to get angry person we got to get angry at is ourself for not listening to the Lord. As we wait just a few moments, you come. Anyone else, just slip out of your place and come while we wait. Lord, thank you so much for speaking to our hearts tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Brother Adam sharing it with us tonight. And we pray that we won't be hearers only. We have seen in the mirror of your word some things in our life tonight, and you've reminded us, your Holy Spirit has prompted us. Help us to listen, and then help us to do, to obey you, and to allow you to work in our lives to mold us and make us and use us. We will thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me share just a few announcements with you tonight. Uh, I mentioned this morning, this coming Wednesday night is our trunk or treat for the kids. We'll have our regular Wednesday night service and master club and teen meeting on Wednesday. But at the close of that, we'll have trunk or treat for the kids. We usually do that inside because we never know if it's going to be raining or bad weather or whatever. But we do it inside. If you'd like to bring uh, some candy to give out to the kids, there's a box in the, in the lobby. You can bring that and you can bring it with you Wednesday night if you didn't bring it tonight, or you can drop it by any time by the office uh, here at the church. Men's hiking trip is coming up on the 29th. There's a sign-up sheet for that. And then the men's conference in Mansfield is November 11 and 12. Uh, Brother Scott Pauley and Brother Kurt Skelly are the speakers there. And men, if you haven't been or if you have been, let me encourage you to sign up and go to the men's retreat. It will be a blessing to you. On Sunday, November the 20th, we'll have our Thanksgiving luncheon. We'll have lunch here after the morning service. There's a sign-up sheet to bring food for that. And then our adult Christmas banquet is on December the 3rd. Brother Lonnie Moore will be our guest speaker for that, and we're looking forward to that time as well. So mark those dates down. It seems like we've gotten into October, and all of a sudden things are speeding up and busy and all kinds of things going on. But it's a good time of the year. I always... 
when I was a kid, I looked forward to Christmas, and as a big kid, I still look forward to it. And uh, I just like, you know, I like going into stores and hearing music that I can recognize and, and can sing along and hear, hear Christmas carols and all that kind of thing. So all that's coming for us, but uh, keep those things in mind if you would. For our offering tonight, if you haven't had the opportunity to put your offering in, uh, in just a moment the ladies will play the uh, harp and the flute, and the flute tonight's not going to be live stream, it's going to be right, live, and uh, so we'll do that. I did want to mention we do have the quarter folders for our Christmas gift for the Lighthouse Children's Home, and boy, this folder's already got $5 in it, somebody put that in here, and it's up here, so we'll put that in, and... Uh, you can put your quarters in or you can just put $5 in there. We have a 100 of these. That will give us $500 if we fill them all up to give to the children's homes. And they have Lighthouse Children's Homes in Costa Rica, Panama, Mexico, India, and Philippines. And so help us out with that if you would. As the ladies play the offertory, if you hadn't had the opportunity to bring your offering yet, you may do that while they play.
Amen. Thank you, ladies. We appreciate that so very much. I apologize to some of you over here that couldn't see them. Let me get the guys in the sound room if you'll help us out next time. Forget the words and put the ones that are, because the ones over here can't see. Sometimes we have them at the piano and they can't see over here. So if you'll just put their pictures on there instead of the words, that'll help us out. We're working on getting another camera from over here. We've got one here and one in the center. We'll get one more over here. That way, especially these on this side, you can't hide from the camera if we get one over here and we can put that. But if you guys will do that, that'll help us out. Appreciate that. That was very good. Thank you, ladies. Let's stand together for our closing word of prayer. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And uh, we want to encourage you to be back Wednesday night for prayer meeting. We're looking forward to a, to a good service, the Lord's blessings. Continue to pray, as we mentioned this morning, for Kurt Boggs and for um, Laura uh, Faulkner. Thank the Lord for answered prayer. They're improving and continue to pray for them. Pray for some of our church family that are traveling. Pray for Adam and Zach who will be traveling back to Virginia tomorrow. And uh, we appreciate so much their being with us for these, for these few days and, and sharing with the teenagers and with uh, the big teenagers, the grown teenagers as well. Brother John Winkler, would you come lead us in our closing prayer? Appreciate John and all of his helpers with the teens. They did a good job with the rally and we're thankful for them. Lead us in our closing prayer, please, sir. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to once again come to your house. And Lord, I just pray that now as we we depart and head our ways, Lord, I pray that you would just guide us and direct us. And Father, help us to to find someone to share your word with, Father. Help us to be vigilant and to search for that person. Father, I pray you would just continue to be with Laura and, and continue to heal her and just be with uh, Brother Kurt Boggs as well, just working his life. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would just be with us as we go through our, go our ways, Father. We love you and we thank you for all you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.